All right, let's get into the text this morning. If you'll take your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 11, verses 27 through 33. That's page 848 in the Pew Bible in front of you. Page 848. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray. Lord, um, <clears throat> we uh, enter again into your presence asking for your blessing upon this time, uh, covering a subject matter that isn't all that well received in our culture. And so we ask God for you to speak to us so that it's not just words that are coming out of my mouth, but that you are penetrating people's souls and spirits to be transformed more into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. Generally speaking, I, I think we live in a culture that uh, doesn't like people telling us what to do or what to think or how to live, uh, who to associate with. And generally speaking, we don't like words like submission or obedience and in this case here, authority. And unless we are a parent or a coach or a teacher or, or kind of a role where that authority matters, uh, then we want it, otherwise uh, leave us alone, right? But, but all aspects of our lives, whether spiritual matters or morality, ethics, politics, whatever the subject matter may be, we don't like anyone entering into our personal space. And we think that, and I feel that, that, that things we consider ours are no one else's business, that we, are, we should be able to do what we want or feel what we want or think what we want and depending on how strongly we feel what is really ours or personally ours, it, it also plays a part in how Jesus influences our lives or how much we let him influence our life. Now, from our studies in Mark, it seems that Jesus is really good at causing disturbances or intervening into people's lives, into established ways of thinking. And he's really good at disruption, and, and which is why he came from heaven to, to earth. Right? It's a huge, huge disruption. And the, the religious establishment misled people. They took advantage of people, as we read in the temple, where the money changers were, were upping the currency values and, and cheating people and telling them, that, you know, your sacrifice is not good enough. You've got to go buy it from here instead. And, and just cheating people out of their, their funds and things. And, and they took advantage of this. And others who were separated from God, say the Gentiles, they really had no hope of reconciling to God uh, the way that things were going. 
So Jesus intervened. He, he disrupted all of this. He disrupted this trajectory in order to restore our relationships with one another as well as to God. I think we've really sanitized Jesus. We've really sanitized following Jesus. Jesus calls us to revolt. And the status quo isn't changed unless there's a revolution. And so you listen to what Jesus said in chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now put yourself in the context of the people listening to this, especially those in a religious leadership, and how disruptive this speech would be to them. People who are in their culture, trying to get ahead in, in different ways, and it's, it's just a revolutionary way of thinking. But who's Jesus to say such things? Who or what gives him the right, the, the authority to disrupt our lives in, in such a way, in, in, his, in his teachings, in the things that he's saying? It's, it's just really, really invasive of a person who's like an outsider, now, this is really disturbing to those of us who live in a time and culture that encourages us to carve out our own destiny, that tells us that we can do anything that we put our mind to, that we can accomplish anything if we just work hard at it and no one can stop you, no one can tell you what to do, and I have to let you know that those are all lies. That's arrogance. That's pride. They're all lies. Now, if you don't believe that those things are a lie... Go and try and rob a bank because you really, really want money. And so that's what you want to do. And then after you rob that bank and you, they catch you because eventually they do. Um, I have an FBI friend and part of her specialty is bank robberies. And she says that the first one or two times usually they get away with it. But where we catch them is they keep doing it. Uh, they think that they can keep getting away with it and then they eventually catch them. Then when you're caught, then you'll have people telling you what to do for a long time. And you'll be under authority in terms of when you can eat and when you can have free time and when you can go to the library and when you can sleep. See, we, we can't do anything that we want. And, and some may be thinking, well, you, you know, you're just mentioning something that's illegal. You can do anything legal that you put your mind to. Uh, to an extent. But there are always governing bodies determining what we can't or, or can do and how much of that we can do. And in themselves, those things have limits. We, we all live under authority. So how we live today isn't anything new in terms of falling under authority. I'll give you an example of all of us, every single one of us falling under authority. You and I pay taxes. Yes? If not, you will be like the bank robber soon. Okay, so you, you'll be like that. You, you either pay more or less of them, but if you collect some sort of income, you pay taxes. You pay them, and, and there's no way of getting around it. 
There, none. And the idea of authority is really disturbing to many of us. And, and this was something that struck people when, when Jesus taught from really early on in his ministry. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 22. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Jesus' authority was what distinguished him from the scribes, from the other teachers. One of, the, one of the key things. And another thing was probably miracles, right? But this is one of the key things. It was not just teaching from this ancient text or rolling out a scroll and, and talking about it. It was more than just the religious tradition that they were used to living. What he taught had power behind it, and it was changing people. And we read this in Mark chapter 1, right, right after verse 22. In verse 23, it reads this. There was a man in Capernaum, uh, in the synagogue there, who was with an unclean spirit, and Jesus delivered that man from this unclean spirit, and then this is what happens. And then in verse 27. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And these religious leaders were experts in their religion, in their culture, in their tradition and history. They were educated in this Judaic way of life, and they were the professionals of their faith. So when Jesus came rolling around, who didn't have a reputable family background, who didn't have a... a, a a very successful vocation, being a son of a carpenter. He just wasn't well received. You know, this guy was educated in Galilee. This, that's, that's a no-name school. Why would we listen to this guy? There's no reputable rabbi there. In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. See, these religious leaders, they, they questioned Jesus' authority very early on when, when ministering to this paralytic in Mark chapter 2, picking up in verses 6 and 7. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then Jesus responded in chapter uh, 2, verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Right after this is Mark chapter 3. There was a man with a withered hand. And in verse 2 of chapter 3, it says this, And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And so this was the attitude they had toward Jesus. Always questioning, always cynical. And when Jesus did heal that man on the Sabbath, picking up in verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. It was really telling how dark the religious leaders' hearts were toward Jesus. And if they weren't so ill-willed toward Jesus, they may have been given the authority, like the disciples were given the authority, to cast out demons in chapter 3, verse 15. And, and the authority over unclean spirits in chapter 6, verse 7. They might have been able to tap into that power, into that authority. But they were too caught up in their man-made authority to be aware of God's authority. And Jesus said to them in Mark chapter 7, verses 6 and 7, 
Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And these were the guys who came against Jesus, questioning him about his authority since the beginning of his ministry, the same guys who allowed corruption to take place inside of the temple, to to be made into a marketplace instead of a house of prayer, the same guys who practiced that empty religion as Jesus used the picture of the fig tree as fruitlessness. And, And he saw that same fruitlessness inside the temple. These are the same guys who had the audacity to question Jesus who was prayerful and fruitful and full of forgiveness. Hypocrites. And that's the kind of background that we have as we enter this questioning of Jesus again about his authority. Picking up in verse 27, verse 11, or chapter 11. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you the authority to do them? And you notice that this time they they come out in force. It's chief priests, scribes, and elders. And so they, they all knew Jesus had a poor pedigree. They knew that he didn't come from a reputable family or a school, reputable school. They also knew each other's backgrounds in terms of their colleagues. They knew who the top student was who who was sitting under the top rabbi in Jerusalem who was the top university of their day. It was the Berkeley of their day. Who who came from a lineage of reputable uh, religious leaders who had the families, who held the power, who had the money. They were the ones that were giving these other religious leaders the authority. And here they were. Questioning Jesus' authority because they sure didn't give it to him. And so how in the world do you have any? What they failed to recognize even a few days earlier in the triumphant entry was that Jesus is king. He rode on a colt who had never been ridden on, symbol of the royalty. He was anointed king at his baptism. And he had not yet been enthroned, though, but he was anointed to be king, just like David was anointed by Samuel, but he did not sit on the throne yet as Saul was there. And it is the king who had authority over the temple. See, the religious leaders knew that the king had authority over the temple, which was a really, really sensitive topic to these guys at this time. Why is that? Because Herod the Great was the one who had authority over them and over the temple, who was actually just appointed by the Romans to have this authority. See, the Romans were appointing politicians to have authority over the Jews and how they did things and what they did. And so Herod the Great was placed there. And so this idea of a king having authority over the temple, it stems way back to King David. King David who who planned for the temple. And then his son, King Solomon, is the one who built the temple. And having it connected to Israel's royalty from that point on, it has always been that way. That's how how it's, it's been since that time until Herod rose to power here. See, the Hasmonean the royalty, the, the royal family, they were the priests and they were the kings. And then appeared Jesus, who's the rightful king, but unrecognized by these religious leaders and completely unexpected in terms of who he is, but yet he is of the line of David. 
The authority of Jesus is rightfully his. It is his throne. It is his claim. That's why it's so important that Bartimaeus recognized that this is the son of David, that that throne is his. And when they ask him this question about authority, they probably thought that, you know, we, we got him. That's a good question that all three of us groups came up together to ask because we got him. And so they were thinking, you know, we've asked all these other questions before and he's just thrown it back in our faces about, you know, like, well, whose face is on the coin? Give it to him. Uh, uh. You know, like, like, man, this guy keeps getting out of the stuff that, that, that we're trying to get him on, but this time we got him. And then Jesus uses this Hebraic form of legal argumentation just by simply asking a counter question. Right? And, and this isn't Jesus being mean-spirited towards them or anything like that. He's, he's asking this question so that they can answer their own question. But they, they can't get there because their hearts are full of envy. They, they wanted a king who had the authority of Jesus, but Jesus didn't really fit into their kingly expe- expectations because they were expecting a king who would overthrow the Roman government. They were expecting a king who would place them back into power, and that's not what Jesus was about. And someone like Pilate, Pilate who was appointed by the Romans to be the governor over Judea, he recognized this envy that the religious leaders had toward Jesus. Now, Pilate himself was not this great man of character, but he was a good judge of character, and you kind of have to be to, to get that high of a ranking from the Romans to be a governor of all of Judea. And so he recognizes certain things, and he recognizes envy. He recognized the envy of the religious leaders. Mark chapter 15, verse 10 For he, Pilate, perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up, delivered Jesus. See, envy, it it comes from a place of pride. Prideful people hate when someone else is more successful than they are. See, humble humble people celebrate the abilities and talents and gifts of others. People of humility celebrate in the successes of others. And so, you know, when we hear of another church who's doing well or doing some amazing things, my hope is that we celebrate that and we're not thinking of, oh, that should have been us or like some sort of envy or some sort of pride taking place. And rather than rejoicing when a a paralytic is healed or or when a man with a withered hand is healed, when, when people follow Jesus, they envied that instead they didn't celebrate that full of pride because why we're the ones with the education we're the ones with an awesome pedigree with a great reputation with with an upstanding religious lifestyle while that guy hangs out with sinners he's eating with tax collectors we're doing everything we need to do we wash hands before we eat we don't work during the sabbath and they're full of this religious pride and they couldn't stand the fact that no matter what they assume Jesus doing, eating with sinners, not washing hands, and doing all this kind of stuff, that a great number of people still followed him, that they still loved him, 
And they still wanted to hear what he had to say, even though he was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth from a woman of ill repute, raised by a carpenter, educated in a, in a third-rate school by third-rate teachers. And Jesus had one question to help them to answer their very own question. It was this in verse 29. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Here's the question to help you guys answer your own question and to come into faith of me, Jesus the Christ. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Now why would Jesus ask this question out of all the questions he could have asked them? Why is it this one? What we need to do is we need to keep in mind the relationship between Jesus and John, and I don't just mean that they were first cousins or anything like that. Let's turn to John chapter 1, and it'll give us more of a spiritual context in terms of their relationship. John chapter 1, starting in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now you skip down to verse 15. Jesus bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And then you skip down to verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? See, priests and Levites were sent from Jerusalem to the Judean desert to find out who John was because here's this guy who wore camel hair and ate wild honey and locusts, and yet he drew a ton of people to him out in the middle of nowhere to hear him preach. Then in John chapter 1, verse 20, this is what's written. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who, who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the ways of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from all the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, the prophet being Moses? Jesus answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. People clearly understood that John the Baptist was a prophet. He was a, a forerunner to the Messiah, to the Christ. And when John baptized Jesus, Jesus was anointed with the Spirit and with power. John directed everyone to Jesus as the coming one who was to fulfill the royal psalms, the royal prophecies that he is the true king, the son of David, God's own son. Jesus was the one Israel had been waiting for. That was the relationship between John the Baptist and Jesus. And that's the context from from John chapter 1. So now back to Jesus' question in Mark. 
I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Was the baptism of John of divine authority or was it just a creation of man? And it wasn't an easy question for them to answer, as you can see, because they had to all huddle up to come together to figure this out. Chief priests, Levites, all these guys, scribes. Verse 31, and they discussed it with one another. I wonder how long all of this took, but they discussed this saying, and Jesus was just like, I don't know. If we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? That's where Jesus was trying to direct them. Like, see, you guys know. You're answering your own question. I'm, I'm who you're waiting for. Just come to that conclusion. But they don't. They, they further discuss and they say, but shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people for they all held that John really was a prophet. Everyone knew that. Everyone knows that. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Such a lame answer. So lame. Because it's a lie. They do know. They knew. Their answer answered their own question of Jesus. But if they made their answer known publicly, if they confessed this answer, it would demand submitting to the authority of Jesus as Christ. It demanded that. And if they answered any differently, it would pit them against the people who all knew that John was a prophet. And so what do they do? They give a political answer. I don't recall. I don't, I don't recall. It's lame. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. In other words, you guys know the answer but your envy doesn't allow you to see truth. It doesn't, you're blinded by it. You're, you're like Bartimaeus. And, and this may be the attitude that some people have toward God today. You know him to be true. He's answered some really miraculous prayers that you've prayed. You're in the situation you find yourself See, people will not be able to tell God, you don't have authority over me. You don't have that. Because if you're in his kingdom, he does. It's his kingdom. It's the same thing as if you're a citizen of the United States of America. You are under the authority of the laws of our land, whether you like it or not. And you will pay taxes to the states. Whether you like it or not, you are under authority. And if you are in God's kingdom, you are under his authority. Whether you like it or not. But here's the thing. God gives us the dignity to decide whether we want to be in his presence or not. In his presence is essentially heaven. Outside of his presence is essentially hell. But if we are to be in his kingdom, we are under his authority. 
And the best answer one would be able to give is, I don't know. Which is what a lot of people do when you're asking them questions about Jesus or asking them questions about God and you're asking them to acknowledge Jesus as God even after all of the historical, sociological, archaeological, prophetical evidence. Over 300 prophecies accurately fulfilled by Jesus from the Old Testament. And the answer, I don't know, is equally as lame as the answers give to the scribes, or the answer that the scribes give to Jesus when given all of this evidence. Is, is, is what we have in the Bible accurate in all the disciplines that I just mentioned? Archaeology, socio- sociology, his, his, history, prophecy. Yes, it is. Where, where, where is it not? The issue people have with God has a lot to do with this idea, this issue of authority. People question the moral, political, intellectual, financial authority of God, but ultimately it's about authority. We don't like people telling us what to believe, how to think, what to do, who we have relationships with, when we can do certain things, where we can go. So how do we get around all of that stuff that we don't like people telling us? We want to decide all of that for ourselves. We determine that. And so we get an infinite number of beliefs and values, and no one has a right to tell me any differently. And then Jesus crashes into that picture. He disrupts that entire picture. He intervenes into all this picture and he tells all of us little gods. I forgive you for that. It it is my kingdom and I forgive you for that. I forgive you of the treason. Now, stop trying to get everyone else on board to your selfish agendas because the last will be first. And if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And people don't seem to like authority, even though we all submit to it in one form or another. Right before the Great Commission in Matthew 28, what did Jesus say? Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, authority was given to Jesus by God. All authority. Now, thank God Jesus has been given all authority. Christ, who is forgiving, who is last, who is servant of all, who has lost his life for us, and right before his ascension to the right hand of God, and after telling his disciples that all authority in heaven and earth have been given to him, he then gives the great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And some have perverted what making disciples means. Misinterpreting it as colonization. 
as po political affiliation, as economic systemization, or, or some other value system or belief system, when, when all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. See, authority wasn't given to the United States of America or to capitalism or to democracy or to Western thought or philosophy. It was given to Jesus, and he doesn't share it. He doesn't apportion some of it here and some of it there to have authority here and there. He, he doesn't share that. It's his, and it's his alone, and the gospel is for all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Yet it is the nations and the people in them who are in rebellion to God. Read Psalms chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the anointed. And who is the anointed that this psalmist writes of? It is Jesus Christ. The true king. And it's no surprise to the Christian that there's no peace in this world. We are called to live as peacemakers while we are here, but we know that peace will not fully arrive until Jesus returns, until he exercises his authority upon his return. But that is not how people view Jesus today. If people have a view of God, they want to clump Jesus with every other deity that's out there. And if there is any divine authority, all higher beings, they all have equal authority. That is the prevailing thought amongst many people in the Bay Area that I've talked to. And there is no one who is above another. All of them are equal. But Jesus can't be clumped in, into that. Why is that? Because he himself said that. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not everybody else, it's me. And if we believe that, then we, like those scribes and, and religious leaders, we're called out, then we have to follow that. And if we don't, then we are saying, you're a liar. Jesus, you're a liar, and you know what? We really shouldn't follow a liar. If we can prove that he's a liar, then we shouldn't. But if he is not, he demands that loyalty. But he can't be clumped into that. And here's another thing that we can't answer. We can't say, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. In terms of Jesus' authority. We can't say that. We, we have a real problem with authority. And it's not just with nations. We have a problem with it individually. Some of us want Jesus just partially. We don't want him fully. We like some ideas about him. We like some of his teachings and some of the, the things that he's about. We like that. But we don't like everything. We don't want him to dictate our lives. Why, why can't people just be more honest about things like that? You know, I, I, when you ask people about things about Jesus, they don't flat out come, come up and say, you know, I just don't want him to dictate my life. I don't want him to tell me what I can do or what I can't do. They don't say things like that. The, the thing that I mostly hear is like, oh, yeah, he's great. And then it's more of like there's all this other back knowledge too, like he's great, just like Buddha's great, and just like uh, Krishna's great, and just like everybody else, he's great. Most of the time, when people want to push the pause button on Jesus, it's, it's for an intellectual reason. 
when they don't want to make that step of faith, it's actually an intellectual reason. People throw out there that they have more questions that need to be answered, that they need more time to reason this stuff out or to think this thing through, and I completely respect that if it is true. If it is honest that you're, you have more questions and you're sincerely still seeking, but sometimes it's just a stalling tactic. You're just stalling. It's having to make a decision because it's acknowledging Jesus does indeed have authority of our lives. And if we come to that conclusion, then we have to answer, I will follow. Or you have to prove he's a liar. Or you have to say, I don't know. But I'll close with this, these verses. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. And, and my hope is that it presents God's love his heart towards all of us, and it changes our perception about God's authority in our lives. John 3, starting in verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. It's pretty exclusive coming from Jesus himself. The belief in Jesus is an issue about authority. And until we can submit to the authority of Jesus in all aspects of our lives, we won't know him as Savior. We won't know him as Lord. We won't know him as friend. And if we do take seriously the authority of Jesus and we follow Jesus, we are empowered with his spirit and we can change the world under his authority. As followers of Jesus, we are empowered to challenge the temples that are practicing injustice in this world. We are empowered to make changes in the name of Jesus. So I encourage you, if you notice our church becoming like this. Call us out on it. Flip over our tables. I don't know. Do something. You're empowered to do that. Call the Christian church out on their stuff. Call your brothers and sisters out on that stuff. We don't have to live the ways of the world. Remember Jesus said to, to not be like that. So it is not with you, right? It's like Don't be like that. Don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like those people in the world. We're to live in a higher standard. We're given authority to do this. Let's pray. Father, I ask for forgiveness for those of us who have accepted being muted by our culture and by our society, forgetting that we have been given authority by you to make disciples of Jesus. Not to say that we are to go out there and just be jerks and start telling people things and, and not being sensitive as to where people are coming from, Lord. But to be like you. You are most harsh towards the religious leaders of the day. We don't see you like this with the hemorrhaging woman or the widow who lost her son in Nain, 
or a paralytic or those that were suffering from demon possession. We, we don't see you like that. We see you as kind and empathetic and serving the needs of the people. So Lord, would you give us a heart and a sensitivity and a vision to see the last, that they are indeed first. May you put in our heart the desire, the humility to be the servant of all. God, would you change us to be more like you, Jesus? In Jesus' name, amen.